prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I want you to think for a moment. There's really two classic views of God. There's either the Old Testament God where he's punishing and judging and slaughtering. Have you read the New Old Testament lately? There's a lot of slaughter. The punishment for sin is death. Then we have the New Testament God. He's a loving and gracious and forgiving God. And he picks up the downtrodden and he finds the lost sheep. And you know, people often pick one, right? You can go to a church where the preacher is pounding on the pulpit and calling out the sin in the congregation, and you better get with, right with God or you're going to be toast for eternity, right? He's selling fire insurance is what we call it in the business, you know? Turn or burn, fly or fry. Uh, my kids and I used to play a game and see how many of those we could come up with. That's how you fill up long car rides in the Madison family, right? Those are my favorites. Turn or burn, fly or fry. But you know what? God is both of those things. He is the owner of the vineyard, the, the oil grove, or the olive tree grove, the fig tree grove. My lips aren't working today. And he is the patient God who says, I want to see my church grow. I want to see fruit. And yet, there comes a point when he becomes the punishing God. And he says, you know what? They ain't producing fruit. You're out of the garden. Voted off the spiritual island, so to speak. The biblical truth is that God is a little bit of both. And we wonder sometimes, where is God? We had this discussion a couple weeks ago in Sunday school. Where is God when all of these horrible things are happening? Well, we have to come to the realization that there's evil in the world. There's even evil in our hearts. And we need to know that accidents and tragedies and diseases happen. And have you noticed that when people get together, we talk about the accidents, the diseases, and the tragedies? Did you hear about? Did you hear about? Probably the one that disturbed me the most this week was all the people in Ukraine hiding in the theater. And then they bombed the theater. Right Now, we're all nodding. Why? Because that story sticks with us. In fact, in psychology, there's actually a psychological game, and they don't mean it in a bad way, but one of the things people talk about when they get together are all the tragedies. Isn't it awful is what the game's called. Isn't it awful, you say? Well, if I were going to title this passage, not my sermon, my sermon already has a title. We're going to get there in a moment. You could call it fate versus fruit, right? You've got the people who had the tower fall on them, or you've got the gift of God and his blessing growing, calling us to bear fruit. You've got life, which could end in a moment, or you've got a legacy where you can leave, grow fruit again. You've got possibility versus potential, or this is my title for this sermon in this passage, The Real Tragedy. It was a tragedy that Pilate mingled the blood of the Galileans with their sacrifice. Tragedy. It was a tragedy that the tower fell and killed 18 people. But the real tragedy is that the church of Jesus Christ is not producing fruit. That's where we're headed today. The real tragedy is that we're not 
producing fruit. I want you to think about that. There's spiritual fruit in Galatians 5.22. says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I like the fact that self-control is at the end of the list. That's the last fruit I'm going to produce. Okay, moving on. Uh, we've got gospel fruit. Jesus didn't say, go and plant your butt in church. Yes, I said butt in church. I'll, I'll apologize to my mother on Thursday when I talk to her. It's not what he said. He said, go, teach, make disciples. And yet most of us come and sit. There's gospel fruit and there's ministry fruit. There's people that need our help. There's hungry people. There's lost people. There's lonely people. There's sick people. Really hard to help them if we're just sitting in the soil soaking up the manure. That's what the fig tree was doing. It was sitting in the good soil. It was soaking up the manure. Now, my son, uh, the pastor, he, he decided to go in a different direction. He's talking about pollinating the fig tree. I don't care about pollinating the fig tree. He doesn't listen to my sermons anyway. I care about the fruit. So can I have the next slide, please? I've got three stories for you, and you know me. They all begin with the letter B. The first one is bonsai. I want you to think about this. In the 12th century, Japanese gardeners created dwarf trees. Poor Vicky, when we go to Longwood Gardens, I always make her take me to the bonsai uh, aisle. They are so fascinating. They're, they're mature trees, but they're only two feet tall. They're gorgeous. Now, we know that I have uh, no ability to grow anything. So Vicky bought me, because I also love snow globes. She bought me a bonsai tree in a snow globe. That is my bonsai tree, right? But how do they make those little trees? Well, they learn to cut out the taproot. They cut out the main root of the tree that digs down farthest into the soil, gets the most nutrients and the most water, and the only roots that that little tree has to go on are the peripheral roots. That's why it never grows. Pastor Eric Ritz writes, what our Japanese friends have learned to do intentionally with trees, many of us in our country have done by neglect of our spiritual lives. How many of us have cut the taproot of faith in Jesus Christ and have tried to live and grow on an occasional trip to church, occasionally open the Bible to read and only pray in moments of great distress and give to the church only the leftovers of our financial resources? So the first thing I want you to think about for the fig tree, for each of us, because we are the fig trees, is that some of us aren't digging down into the truth of God and the power of God. You're wondering why there's not fruit? Are you tapped in? See how I did that? Tapped in to the power in the word of God. Next slide. Baseball glove. Now, Dr. Madison, what does a baseball glove have to do with fruit? Now, Wiki's smiling because I already told her this story on Thursday, but a young man was wrestling with the call of God in his life, and he he wanted to go to the mission field. He believed that's where God was calling him. And he said to his father, Dad, I want to go to the mission field. I feel called to the mission field, but I don't think I could do it. His dad said, well, son, go get your old baseball glove. He got the baseball glove, and the father set it up against the wall so it was standing straight up. 
And he took the baseball and he threw it into the glove and it just rolled away. He said, son, that baseball glove is a failure. It's probably the worst baseball glove I've ever seen. It's useless. And the kid said, dad, you have to put your hand in it. He says, son, you can't do it on your own at the mission field, but God can do it through you. The first reason we're not getting fruit is we're not tapping down into the power of God. The second reason we're not getting fruit is we're not letting God fill us with his intention. That's what we talked about in the children's sermon is that each one of us has a different plan and a purpose on our lives, but we have to let God reach inside us and fill us with his power and his vision. The third thing that I'd like to talk about, and I had to look this up just to make sure it would fit, the third thing, the thing that is third, are Bamberger potatoes. These are real potatoes, ladies and gentlemen. They're grown in Europe. Here's the story. A potato farmer's son did something silly and stupid and wound up in jail. Just at the beginning of potato planting season. So he sent his son a note. He said, son, how could you do this? Now I have no one to dig up the fields to plant the potatoes. The son wrote back, Dad, don't dig in the fields. That's where I hit all the guns. So you know what happened? The police came with shovels, bulldozers, and they dug all the fields up all the way around. And guess what they didn't find? Guns. Any guns. So the dad wrote the son in jail. He said, son, you'll never believe what happened. The police came and they dug up all the fields. And the son wrote back and said, well, Dad, Plant some potatoes. Now that's a cute story, but I want you to know that many people in the church are waiting for somebody else to dig the fields. Well, why isn't the church going? Well, if the pastor preached better, if the music was uh, more in tune, if it was... Do you remember, and I know we're all of a certain age, do you remember when churches used to advertise that they had air conditioning in the 60s? Right? Not Jesus is here, not the gospels preached here, not missions are done here, air-conditioned worship service, right? And, and people would choose a church based on the quality of the temperature. Is that frightening? But we need to find the gospel again. We need to find the passion again. If we're not looking to grow fruit, and fruit is not going to grow. Now, Pastor, you say, what does that look like in real life? So I want you to set the Wayback Machine to 1976. I tell the kids at school that I used to be cool when Jimmy Carter was president. And then they always say, who was Jimmy Carter? That, that <laughs> is terrible. But I want you to picture your pastor with shoulder-length brown wavy hair. I had on a t-shirt that said, smile if you love Jesus. I had bell-bottom jeans and sandals. I was a bit of a Jesus freak, and I was working down at Malaga Camp, Methodist Camp in Malaga. Methodist Summer Youth Assembly was the main title, but everybody called it Malaga. And we had a meeting as the counselors because as every camp, if you've ever been to church camp on Friday night, they're going to make a, a call for decision. You've been here all week. This is Jesus. Do you want to know him? And the person in charge was very wise, and he said, you know, there are going to be kids that come down to the altar, but there's going to be kids that need 
alone time with God. And we need somebody to go looking for the strays. And I volunteered. And he said, I want you to walk around the camp because you're going to find somebody that's dealing with God on their own. And I found Kim. Next slide. Kim was a cute little blonde kid around 12 years old, weeping on a bench. Her Bible was next to her, and she was inconsolable. And I got to share the gospel with Kim, and Kim gave her heart to Jesus on that park bench by Malaga Camp in 1976. Now you may say, how did you do it? How did you do There we go. <laughs> I need one of those clicker things. Maybe we'll get one of those one day. Anyway, I'm sorry that you can't read this, but you can look it up on the internet. We learned it. It was called the Roman Road, and there were five verses that we memorized to go through, and it, you've heard them over and over. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Every human being on the planet has sinned, and anybody who tells you they haven't have sinned because they just told a big fat lie. You heard about the pastor who came across a group of boys. Did I tell you this story? And the boys were uh, playing with a stray dog, not in a mean way. And he said, what's going on? And the boys said, uh, Pastor, we found this stray dog and we all want to take him home. And we decided to have a contest to see who wins. He says, okay, what kind of contest? He said, we're going to see who tells the biggest whopper, the biggest lie. And the biggest lie gets the dog. The pastor was incensed. He said, you can't do that. What, why would you tell lies like that? He says, boys, I need you to know that in my life, I have never told a lie. The littlest one said, give him the dog. You got to think about it. There it is, right? We all have a place where we need God. Later on, it says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And Kim and I prayed together. I've, had, I've heard many a sermon on not being a fruit inspector. That's more from the Galatians passage than from here. But I want you to know that there is a fruit inspector. Fruit inspector. And he's a patient fruit inspector. But his patience has a limit. We have a fruit inspector, a master gardener, whose seemingly endless patience will come to an end. And I believe that's why, did you notice, that the end of the story is left open. We never find out if the fig tree produced fruit or if it became firewood. Which fig tree will you be? Fruitful or firebound? Teeming? Or tragedy. Back to where we started. There are tragedies in this world. But the real tragedy is a tree that doesn't produce fruit. Amen.